started reading books like you would not believe. So I never got a formal education, but you can go down to my bookshelf and there's probably 250 positive mental attitude, success, and personal self-help books down there. But I started reading just absorbing information about how I could do it, I can do things, I can overcome. And I would say that if you have someone in your audience who is challenged with not knowing if they can or challenged with their past or thinking that it's going to hold them back, they should start reading. Because they always say the difference between you today and you five years from now is going to be the people you associate with and the books you read and today the podcasts you listen to. You've got to overload your brain and your information system with that positive can-do stuff and let it start to build into you to the point where you believe you can actually do something. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm your host, Alan Draper. Thank you for spending time with me. I know how valuable your time is, how busy you are, and I appreciate it. I Before we get to our guest, make sure to go to my website, alandraper.com, especially if you're kind of in the beginning stages of your company, make sure to schedule an appointment with me and let's chat about your business, see where I can help out. Today, I would like to welcome to the podcast, Brian Will. Brian is a highly experienced serial entrepreneur and best-selling author of The Dropout Multimillionaire. And he has mentored numerous businesses and helped drive billions with a B of dollars in sales. Welcome to the show, Brian. Glad to have you. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me, man. This is going to be fun today. I appreciate it. Let's hear about this this dropout story. So it sounds like you, you know high school maybe wasn't the best fit for you or something. Let's hear about that and how that helped you. Yeah, that book, that was my second book. And the dropout multi-manor, the title comes from the fact that I failed out of high school at 16. Hmm. I did manage to get back in. I graduated with a 1.2 GPA, so not the best student. Got kicked out of the house at 18, came from a bad background, joined the military, did a year on active duty, and then over to the National Guard, did four years Air Force, four years Army. Jeez. Started my first business at 21 because I couldn't hold a job, was a terrible employee, and went from there. And so have built multiple companies over the years, had a lot of success, a lot of failures, uh, had a lot of success and have done really well, and then went into coaching and consulting for big companies and and then wrote the books. I've got another one coming out next week, actually. And bought a restaurant chain. I'm into real estate. I got into politics. I sit on city council in my hometown. So I've done a little bit of everything. So tell me a little bit about the mental state that you were kind of you were having going through as a 16 year old and you know struggling with high school. You know, because one of my goals is to make sure or at least focus on my weaknesses to the point where they can become some of my greatest strengths. So. Tell me a little bit about that phase and how that kind of, whether it gave you confidence, whether it didn't, what you learned from it and what you've kind of applied, how you've applied that to your business career specifically. Gosh, there's a lot to unpack with that question. And it starts with the fact that I'm very ADHD. Right. And when I was in high school, and this would be the late seventies and eighties, I'm an old guy here. You know, we didn't know what ADHD was back then. All they knew was I couldn't pay attention. I got terrible grades and therefore I must be dumb, mm-hmm. which was the title of my first book. I give the dumb kids hope <laughs> and throw in the fact that I came from an abusive background, grew up in a bad home, 
got hit more than I didn't. And so I was an angry young man, had a chip on my shoulder, didn't care about authority, didn't want to listen to anybody, just didn't care about life in general. So combine those two things and I was not a good student, right? So I did manage to graduate, got in the military, got out of that. I will tell you that those two primary drivers though, my ADHD, and you will find a lot of people that are very successful in business have ADD or ADHD. It's actually a strength of mine. Because I run multiple companies, I have multiple projects, I know within myself I can't focus on details. And so I hire people to do that. But I know also that I can sit at 30,000 feet and overlook and do strategic command and control on multiple things at the same time, right? If you understand ADD versus ADHD, ADD can't focus. ADHD focuses on everything, right? I'm listening to kids talk over here, this light flickering. I can see a squirrel out the window. I'm talking to you while we're doing this podcast. Everything is going on in my head at one time, and that allows me to manage multiple businesses. Mm. The bad upbringing part, I say people who grew up in my type of environment generally go one of three ways. They either fall apart, they continue the cycle of abuse, or they take that background and they use it as fuel to succeed. And you'll hear that one a lot. And that anger in me made me want to succeed so bad. It was the most important thing in my life. I was able to overcome a lot of things that most people aren't able to just because that anger kept driving me on. I had to succeed. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to prove to myself that I wasn't the dumb kid that everybody said I was. So you take that anger, which turns into drive, you throw in the ADHD, which allows me to focus on multiple projects. And it's got me where I am today. So both of those ended up being positive. That's a really interesting analysis that there's, you know, abuse victims have these different paths. What is it? What is it that makes some of the abuse victims, I mean, making sure that we're sensitive to this and we're kind of, obviously it's each case by case would be different with its inherent specifics, but generally, what do you think it is? What do you attribute, you know, your ability to use that as a positive in your life as this driving force, this energy to be successful versus, you know, was there a point in time where you had to make that decision? You saw yourself going down this other path or what is it? What is it for the folks that, you know, are listening that are going through something and it sounds like you made this decision, whether you did it, you know, expressly, or there was a time, this pivoting moment where you made the decision or if it just kind of evolved, but what do you attribute that to that you were able to take of the three paths, the only one that you would have led you to where you are today? So I would say there is a nature versus nurture part of that answer, right? There are people that are never going to overcome their past and never going to overcome their challenges because they just won't force themselves to do it. That's the that's the nature part, right? And then there are some people that they just have that driving force behind them and they're going to go no matter what. I look at my two children who were raised in the same house with the same parents, with the same upbringing, and they're totally different. And if you have a brother or sister, you may experience the same thing. I have one daughter who I used to joke when she was, you know, a little and I'd yell at her, don't do that. She'd stop and give me these big eyes and then she wouldn't do it. If I yelled at my son at the same time, he'd just start crying, right? That's just the difference between the two. I knew that he was a more soft-natured individual than her, and she was harder, and she didn't take that abuse and let it get to her where he did. So there's a little bit of that nature in there. But at some point, you know, when I was 18 years old, I ran into somebody who started telling me that I could do anything I wanted to do, and I could succeed at any level I wanted to succeed at. And weirdly enough, it was in multi-level marketing. 
right? I got involved in the Amway business at 18 years old and I started reading books like you would not believe. So I never got a formal education, but you can go down to my bookshelf mm. and there's probably 250 positive mental attitude, success and personal self-help books down there. And I started reading, just absorbing information about how I could do it. I can do things. I can overcome. And I would say that if you have someone mm. in your audience who is challenged with not knowing if they can or challenged with their past or thinking that it's going to hold them back, they should start reading because they always say the difference between you today and you five years from now is going to be the people you associate with and the books you read and today the podcast you listen to. You've got to overload your brain and your information system with that positive can-do stuff and let it start to build into you to the point where you believe you can actually do something. That's a really cool story. And I didn't experience some of the issues that you clearly had growing up, but I had a similar experience where I got to this point where I grew up in a small farming community. People don't really leave. They just kind of stick around, but the town doesn't grow either. Like they don't build businesses and any new business that starts up, it's too small to succeed. Usually there's not enough people. And so the thinking is different. I'll just say that. And I still have family there and I still visit quite a bit, but I wanted to change the way that I thought. Mm -hmm. And the way that I did that was I stumbled upon business books. And I actually can't even remember the first Rich Dad Poor Dad was really early. But when I'm looking, One of my and I highly recommend if you want to change the way you think about leverage and your time as an entrepreneur, I recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad's classic. Obviously, I recommend his follow up book to Cash Flow Quadrant. It's excellent in terms of deciding career path and becoming an investor slash business owner. Yep. But when now, Brian, when I'm looking to choose a book, a lot of times I try to find a book that is going to not just inform me, but is going to change the way that I think. A lot of stuff that I've read in books, I don't necessarily remember. Right. But when they change the way you think, that's how it impacts your life. And, right. you know, I grew up, it went to a small high school. So I, you know, started on all the sports teams. They didn't have a lot to select from. And I was like the jock type personality, the, you know, and then, I got into reading books about how to think and positivity. And I got to tell you, in the beginning, I it made me feel a little weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep. wait a minute. So you're telling me I'm very skeptical, right? And once I started to apply some of the principles, it was a complete game changer for me. I love that, that you mentioned that. And I talk about books a lot. I talk about podcasts a lot. And surrounding yourself with good people, with the people that you want to become like, the people that that challenge you. And it's incredible the very specific and clear impact that it's had on your life. And that's amazing. I wanted to pivot a little bit. You talked about how people with ADHD, it's kind of different and how they can have success because they focus on multiple things. And I've never been diagnosed or anything, but that sounds right in my wheelhouse. I own a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different industries but I can hyper-focus, but I really feel pushed when, you know, when my day is, I work on 10 different companies for an hour at a time, but I'm hyper-focused. And I've noticed that this is true of entrepreneurs generally. And I feel like it can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. And for some entrepreneurs, they think they can take it all on in the beginning. 
And I say, hey, you have to first get a foundation, get a business that you know you hyper focus on, and that's the only thing you do until you develop a certain level of success. Tell me your thoughts about that strategy and whether you know what you think about just this general entrepreneurship mentality of you know the new flashy object. So there's three things we'll talk about. The first one is something you said at the beginning of this, and the reason you were challenged originally with the books that you were reading was because of your personal filter. And I talk about this in chapter one of the book. So if you think of a child growing up, the minute that child's born, their parents start feeding information into them, right? I'm from a small town too. I had 80 kids in my high school class and that was a big class, right? Small farm town. Mm -hmm. And then when you go to school, your teachers start feeding information into your brain. And it's information they got from their parents and their schooling. Then you go into high school, same thing. Your peers start giving you peer pressure and putting stuff in your brain. The environment you're in, if you go to college, your professors, if you get a job, your boss. And what happens is all this information that goes into your brain becomes a filter. And that filter works in your subconscious and it accepts or rejects information that's coming at it in real time without you even knowing what's going on. It accepts and rejects information based on everything that's ever gone in your head before. So if you've never been successful in business or you've never had a positive environment to live in, it may reject this new mm. information is coming at it because it doesn't fit within the filter. So when you say I first started reading these books and my I was I was feeling weird and didn't make any sense, that's because your filter was rejecting information. Now, the difference in your case and what you've told me is you made a mental decision to start accepting that information against what your personal filter was telling you. And that's how you change. Mm. But the more you put that information in, like I said before, keep reading books and reading books and reading books, and it will eventually change that filter to where it will start accepting positive and it'll start accepting the fact that you can as opposed to you can't. And that's how you change the filter. You overwhelm the subconscious filter with positive stuff and make a decision to to listen to it, right? You just explained it without even really knowing what I was about to say. Exactly. The second mm -hmm. thing is the reason entrepreneurs get in trouble, and then this happens a lot with young entrepreneurs, and young doesn't mean young in age, it just means new entrepreneurs, is they have an ego problem. We talk about this a lot. I want to make all the decisions. I'm always right. Mm. I can do everything. I can do it better than you. Therefore, I'm going to do it and not let you do it. And that's a huge mistake when people start a business. First of all, Understand that nobody's ever going to be as good at you at your business. If they're 70% as good at you, as good as you doing what you do, then you have a good employee. If you're expecting them to be 100%, you're going to be mm. hiring and firing constantly. Because the reality is if someone gets into your business and they're just as good as you, they're going to leave and start their own business, mm -hmm. right? 70% is about all you need. Now, if you bring these people in, you then need to allow them to learn, allow them to fail, and allow them to grow. And entrepreneurs, I can just do it faster. Well, that's You're robbing your employee of the ability to learn and grow, which means you're robbing yourself of the ability to ever turn that task mm -hmm. over to somebody else, right? Or I'm just better at it. I'm going to check your ego, allow people to learn and grow. That will free you up to do what you're good at, which will cause your business to grow exponentially as opposed to you being in the weeds all the time. Mm. If you're in the weeds, you're never going to grow, right? So- Positive mental, change the mental filter, understand if it's accepting or rejecting things wrong, let people grow, let them learn, let them fail. You do what you're best at. And that's how you grow a business from the start. Now you may have to do everything day one, but as I tell people all the time, as soon as you have enough cash flow to replace yourself in whatever area you are weakest in, then you need to do that and allow you to go do what you do best. And it may cause you to make less money in the beginning. Long term, you're going to make 
three, five, ten x what you could have made if you're back here still in the weeds trying to do everything. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of great points there. And you know, when you were talking about how we create these filters by what it, we're allowing into our lives and who we're surrounding ourselves with, and all of these things. I don't know why, but I immediately thought of politics. And I know that you're involved in politics. You mentioned that. And so I'm trying to approach this delicate. And I don't have crazy strong uh, political ideas one way or the other, where I spend a bunch of time reading, watching news about it, things like that. But I have noticed this trend. I want to get your thoughts about it because of what you said and because of your background. I feel like the political parties are... What they're doing is they're imposing these filters on people so that when a new idea, a new individual comes along, they automatically reject it as opposed to finding some middle ground, as opposed to listening and having a conversation, maybe. Yes. It automatically gets rejected. And I feel that right now our country is experiencing a little bit of an issue with that, where it's like, hey, we're having a really hard time just talking to each other, just, and it doesn't mean that every time I listen to somebody, I change everything that I thought before. That's not what it means. It's, you know, Hey, can I set this aside just long enough to listen to what they have to say and see if they'll afford me the same respect and we can have a a conversation. I kind of want to get your thoughts about that because, you know, it's clear that you believe in that concept and also with where you are with your political career and everything. So I will say this, and it's an interesting topic. The government, you said, is imposing filters. And I would say the government imposes outcomes. They're not giving you a choice of whether you get to filter it one way or another. They're telling you this is what you're going to believe going forward. And they're using the force of the government as a threat to impose sanctions or penalties against you if you don't do it. They're not trying to change your filter. They're just forcing an outcome on you. And there's a big difference there. And yes, they have no interest in having a conversation about it because they want you to do what they want you to do and you get no say so in it. And that is the threat of a government that we have today. And I, you know, irregardless of your political leanings, there are issues with our governmental body right now that are kind of scary with where they're going. So when you say that, and the government, we're talking about the federal, the leaders, the politicians, right? We're talking about, so they're the ones that are doing this. And yes, yes. You know, what's crazy. So it causes harm, obviously, on the political legislative side, right? The Just in terms of making law, policy, all of these things, there's clear issues with that when they just force it down our throats. But there's also issues with what it's doing to us on an individual level in terms of how it's changing how we think, right? Well, it's splitting the country in half, right? We're dividing the country by ideology. And there's this side and there's that side. And whichever side's in power, unfortunately, gets to make those rules and force that agenda. And that causes a lot of issues. So it's the old joke that we're not up there with 435 representatives going, hey, let's work this out. They're going, we have one more than you, so screw you. We're going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And that's just a horrible thing that's happening up there. It's horrible. So what have you been able to do in your political career to kind of help remediate this or take a different approach? Sure. So I'm in city council, right? 
And city council, it's the lowest level of politics, right? I, we manage a city. There are seven of us. And we have a city of 70,000 people. But city council is the only level of politics where me as a city council person, I can talk to my neighbors. I can talk to my friends. I can talk to fellow business owners. And I can identify a problem or something that needs fixed. Mm -hmm. I can get it on the city council agenda in two weeks. I can vote on it a week later. And I can make a positive change in my community for my friends, my neighbors, and my fellow business owners. And if we can fix our community, maybe we don't have to worry as much about what's going on in the big picture nationwide. So this is the only level of politics where we can have an impact on our direct community in a very, very quick manner. And that's a positive. And I've made a lot of changes. I've been on city council for a year and a half, and we've, we've done a lot of things, made a lot of changes, fixed a lot of things. We, we're a better community today, and we'll be better next year and the year after. So we do what we can. What was it that originally kind of sparked your interest in, you know, community service slash, you know, helping out as a city council, city councilman? Because I know you're busy. I'm really busy, but I do want to give back to my community. What was it that said, was there this moment where you're like, hey, I'm going to go do something about it? Sure. Yeah. So I had sold a couple of companies in 06 and 08 and tried to retire. I didn't have to work anymore. I was out in Park City skiing for a month. I have a mentor that lives out there and he's a very wealthy gentleman. He sat me down at lunch one day and he said, okay, you've sold your company. Now what are you going to do? And I said, I said, I don't know. I guess I'm going to, I guess I'm going to get for another business. And he said, why do you need the money? And I said, no. He said, well, why are you doing it then? And I said, I don't know what else to do. I've been head down dark to dark, as I like to say for 20 years. And that's all I know. And he said, well, what are you passionate about? And I said, what do you mean? What am I passionate about? I don't know what that means. I, I've been working in a business for 20 years, like seven days a week. I, I don't know what passion means. He said, let me tell you something, Brian. If you're going to be ultimately happy, you need to find something you're passionate about and you need to follow it, whether it makes money or not. And you need to figure out a way to give back to the community, the country, the world that has given you the opportunity to have what you have. And when you can do those two things, you'll create happiness in your life. And if you don't, you'll always be chasing it. Mm. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And I literally thought about it for like five years. And then I wrote my first book and I thought, wow, I, I'm really kind of passionate about writing. So I wrote one, I wrote two, my third book comes out next week. And from a giving back perspective, I'd always been interested in politics because we can affect things, but who the heck wants to be on the mm -hmm. national level? Nobody wants their, their personal life ripped apart and their children attacked and I mean, that's just what politics is a horrible, dirty, nasty business, which is why nobody that's really very good gets in it because nobody wants to have their lives torn apart. But then I met my friend who's on city council and he told me the story I just told you. We can make change in our community. We can help our friends. We can help our neighbors. Mm. And if you can do that, then you've made a lasting impact and you've done something with your life that has meaning. So those were kind of my passion and my way to give back. That's interesting. I've heard it said quite a bit that the you know the smaller community the city towns the those types of organizations and political groups make decisions that affect our lives more than the ones that get all the publicity and that we see all the talking heads you know involved with and and all of that would you agree that it's those are going to have more impact our city council members things like that than these national leaders. We decide who gets to open a business and who doesn't. When I got on city council, we didn't have a jail in our entire North Fulton community area. And we had people go that were just getting tickets 
we're not going to jail for assaults and felonies and DUI. I mean, just crazy stuff. So I got the jail reopened Mm -hmm. and then our police were underpaid. I got their pay fixed and our entire city. We had to get their pay package fixed. We need more police officers to provide Mm -hmm. protection for our downtown areas. We have one of the lowest crime rates because we have a a killer police force. Killer is the wrong word. We have an awesome police force. That does their job. And so we got more police officers hired and mm-hmm. and it goes on and on and on. The things you can do at this local level affect people personally and instantly mm-hmm. where you can see it happen. So yeah, it's been fun. It's been interesting. There's no money in it. Trust me. I spent more to get elected than I'll make in four years. <laughs> I mean, that's some, some of the best things that I do, I don't make, make money with, you know, and I, and it's funny because when I got to the point in my career, I say this all the time, but I think the lesson is is a very impressive one. When I got to the point in my life where I didn't have to work, I became really, really good at my job. Yep. Because then I had all these other motivations. I was doing it not for money. I was <laughs> doing it for everything else. I was doing it because I love right. it. I love Monday mornings now. I love them. So that's impressive. Great conversation, Brian. Where can people reach out to you if they want to buy one of those books, they want to learn more about what you're doing, or they want to get in touch with you? Sure. So I have a website. It's www.brianwillmedia.com. My podcasts are on there. This one will be on there as soon as you release it. My blogs, my books, my, I run a mastermind organization and do coaching. All, everything about me and what we do is on the website. So brianwillmedia.com. Love it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Brian. I appreciate the conversation. Had a lot of fun. It's been awesome, Alan. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.